Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre, and we are fast approaching uh, the Wimbledon Championships, our third Grand Slam of the season. It's been a rapid turnaround following the French Open, and we're very happy this week to check in with uh, one of our favorite guests on the show, the dynamic and charismatic Blair Henley. Blair, thanks uh, for coming on again to Matchpoint Canada. Hi, guys. Good to, to see your faces, to hear your voices. Happy to be back. You as well. Uh, Blair, as you know, you've got an open invite to appear with us anytime you want. And the last time we spoke was in October, I believe, just after the French Open. So we're kind of sticking with that post-Paris theme, I guess, aren't we? That's right. Well, I have to tell you guys, I worked, I worked on the social media team for Roland Garros, and my shift was... 5 a.m. till about 3, 3.30 p.m. for 15 straight days. And we're, we're, I mean, I'm a week out from that and I still don't know. I don't know if it's my age, what it is. I don't <laughs> know if I'm completely recovered, um, but happy. To, this is this is kind of the official start of my grass court season is right now because I've given myself a week to, <laughs> to mentally make the shift. Perfect. Well, that's what we've got you on for us to talk lots of grass court tennis, but I wanted to start with um, the recent edition of Tennis Magazine, which I got in the mail, and I'm going to hold it up here just to prove that I'm not just pulling your leg. And oh. lo and behold, the cover story is written by none other than uh, yourself. So uh, what can you tell us about what it meant to get, I believe, your first cover story on uh, tennis and about the subject of your article, Sebastian Corda? Yeah, thanks. Well, I, you have a copy. I do not yet have a copy. So it's nice to actually see the <laughs> physical version. I need to work on that. Um, but uh, not to, not to get too uh, cheesy or sentimental, but I remember back in, I think it was 2009 when I had just started writing um, and, and thinking maybe I could write in the tennis space. And I was cold emailing Steve Tigner, had, had no idea what, I didn't even know how to correctly pitch a story. So there was definitely a, a full circle feel to that for me. And they were, uh, Ed McGrogan, my editor at Tennis Magazine is fantastic. And they were nice enough to give me the opportunity to write the story with a subject to, who, let me tell you, when I was assigned the story, we had no idea how good <laughs> of a cover story Sebi Corda was going to be because at that point Ed mentioned it before he had even reached the final in Delray Beach before he had broken into the top 100 he went on to win a challenger from there he reached the quarterfinals in his second Masters 1000 in Miami he won the title in Parma he just took out a former Wimbledon semifinalist in in RBA this this past week he beat Nisha Corey I mean the list goes on you, you know you don't want to hype it up too much. Same thing with like Coco Goff when when Coco Goff first came onto the scene and everybody who works in tennis was kind of like, yeah, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. You kind of want to say that about Sebi as well, but he's a little bit older. He'll be 21 in July. And there just doesn't seem to be a feel of pressing. He does not seem to press. They have not, the Corda family as a family has not has not skipped any steps. It has been very methodical, step-by-step. Step. They have had a formula. Peter will be the first to say, and I was I was lucky enough to get to talk to him. I, I get the feeling that he's going to be maybe talking less and less, the better Sebi does, because I think he really wants the focus to be on his son and his accomplishments. But I, I you know, 
people along the way said to him, are you sure that this method is going to work? People said that about his daughters, Nellie and Jessica in the golf world as well. Uh, and they just didn't care. Peter and Regina did not care. They did it their own way. They limited Sebi to an hour of practice for a good chunk of his junior career, an hour a day. I mean, an hour a day on the court is nothing. It's hard to believe, isn't it, compared to what most tennis kids and prodigies yeah. and up-and-comers are doing. It's wild. They always, he always, Peter always wanted Sebi to be wanting more versus I'm, um, get me off the tennis court right now. And I think that that led to a hunger and sort of a slow burn versus the fast burn, the fast, bright, And then I don't know that I want to do this anymore type of player. So right. again, all the pieces seem to be in place and he's got a great attitude. Just, I mean, it was a pleasure to get to know him, to learn about them. There are of course the caveats, pitfalls are out there left and right injuries. You never know what's going to happen, but, but in terms of the foundation, uh, Sebi Korda has it for sure. It's always fantastic yeah. when um, when someone that you speak with then goes on a run and especially to time it with this article. I mean, he must have done this for you, I guess, just to help you, you know, get a little bit more attention off of this wonderful cover story. There you go. I have to say it's happened to me. The last two big stories I've done for Tennis Magazine, I, I mean, I kind of feel like my luck is about to turn, but my my profile before that was Jenny Brady. And that was before she had reached the uh, the final at the Australian Open. It was post U.S. Open semi, but pre AO final. So uh, again, I feel like I'm, I'm wow. on a hot streak. It could very easily go south. From can you. can we ask you to do a cover story on Layla Fernandez? Is that <laughs> too much? <laughs> I, love it. I would love to. I I am a huge fan of Layla's, as you guys know, and and lovely person, which always makes doing a profile or, or talking to a player or a player's family so much easier. So hoping for great things for Layla this summer. Yeah, I'm happy yes. with you to profile any Canadian just, you know, <laughs> just sure. for the record. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, we should, well, we should transition that to, to grass. And as you mentioned, Sebi Korda, I think he was complete, uh, competing in his first ATP event on grass, actually. And, and given that, that's pretty impressive because he made the quarterfinals uh, just playing in Halle as uh, the week wrapped up. And, you know, it, it's it's weird here because Wimbledon just feels like it's like right around the quarter. So sudden. I, I know it's a change in the schedule and all the talking points surrounding to it is like, who can possibly beat Novak Djokovic if we're talking on the men's side? And I don't know about you, but like, do, do you have a short list? Are you circling any names like, oh, maybe this guy can win a set here? Because he just feels like such an overwhelming favorite. And I can't think of a time where we've had um, someone be this overwhelming of a favorite at Wimbledon, at Wimbledon for a long time until going back to like Roger Glory days, really. Uh, well, I have a short list because the list, I think, is actually short. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I right. don't think there's a long list that I need to narrow down. Yeah. Um, I mean, you would you would hope that Steph could do well on grass. Matteo mm. Berrettini, I think, has uh, sounded the alarm bells this week with his performance in Queens and just yes. his style of game and his serve and, and all the things. Um, those two guys, I, I mean, you can't count Roger out. Who, who knows what, uh, what he is going to look like come Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not, there's not a long list. And I think what makes it scarier in a sense is that 
when you watched him against Lorenzo Musetti or when you watched him down two sets to Steph in the final, there was a feeling of, it was kind of like a marathon runner. And, and what was, this is like, I mean, this is gonna be a, a kind of like a backdoor tie in here, but I don't know if you guys read, one of my favorite players to cover doing social media for Roland Garros was Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Mm-hmm. I mean, so gifable, you guys. I, it just, all you had watched five seconds of his match and you had more content than you, than you knew what to do with. Yeah. But one thing I read about him is that he had hired, his team had hired a, a very well-known marathon runner to counsel him and it wasn't fitness based it was how to not come out of the gates and and be so hot out of the gates that he couldn't Mm. sustain it over two out of three or three out of five right thinking of that watching novak that's how i felt that he even when he was down two sets to love there was a feeling of he was just sort of in maintenance mode in mile 13 of the marathon he just hadn't turned on the jets yet and that is I think what what is scary about it but then you think the caveat I was thinking back to 2016 the other day that was the last year that I was actually at Roland Garros and he won the Australian Open won Roland Garros seemed absolutely untouchable and that was just before he sort of had elbow issues there were maybe some some personal things off the court and there was sort of a drop off the cliff that nobody saw coming and so that's I guess what makes tennis so much fun is because you never know even when yeah. we thought the sure thing back then it wasn't and sort of this unthinkable drop off happened so again it's on paper it's really hard to see anybody beating him at Wimbledon um, especially as a five-time champion but Weird things happen, especially on the live surfaces, which is kind of why I love this chunk of the year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Certainly unusual things happen. I'm, I'm recalling, I think, a Sam Query upset of Djokovic back in 2016. And then, of course, Andy Murray was a fantastic grass court threat of his own then. Um, I believe he'll be playing. Ugo Ember looked impressive this week. Yeah. A nice title from him, defeating Andre Rublev in the final in Halle. He's playing well. Um, and then I feel like I'll, I'll bring up the Canadians now because I watch like Dennis Shapovalov, his style of play. You look at he's he's won a Wimbledon junior title. Um, Felix Ojeda same like a quick strike game. Both serve big, both serve really solid. You think like, when are we going to get like a breakthrough from them this season? Obviously, Denis Shapovalov had quarterfinals at the U.S. Open last year, but this feels like a great opportunity for both of them, I would say. Sure. I, I think the, the question would be if they can come out and play an awesome match and say have a huge upset midway through the tournament, can they then keep that up because I think right. either one is capable of upsetting a big name at Wimbledon absolutely it's just the question of can they sustain that throughout the course of seven matches but so happy to see Dennis healthy again uh first of all I, yep. I was so bummed that he couldn't play Roland Garros because he looked so good going in he looked he looked good on the grass so yes mm-hmm. hoping for big things from him Felix, I mean, wouldn't it be the greatest storyline ever if Felix loses his first, what, we're up to eight now, right? Yes, we're at eight, yep. 
and gets his first title at a slam. I mean, I don't know that it's going to happen, guys. The odds are real slim. But, I mean, what a story that would be. Um, but I will say, Marin Cilic, who, who beat Felix in that, uh, forgetting where in, uh, where was that final? Stuttgart. Stuttgart, Stuttgart yes, thank you. Yep. Um, Marin Cilic is also sort of a dangerous floater as well sure. uh, on the grass. And I feel like Marin hasn't, I don't know, there's just, there have been some consistency issues uh, with him, but I, I feel like he is definitely capable of finding it at any moment. So I think yep. wherever he is in the draw will also be sort of a danger zone on the men's side. You, you mentioned Federer briefly earlier when uh, mentioning uh, threats on the men's side. And it's funny because after he lost to Felix uh, in Halle, so many people, it seemed like we're, we're writing him off um, in the uh, Twitter verse, but uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that gets written there. Um, the last time he played Wimbledon, he was two match points from, from winning the title. Um, so, you know, in some ways that's been a long time, in some ways not so much because there hasn't been any grass course, court tennis since then. But what's your gauge on him? I mean, I was kind of a little bit uh, surprised by body language and the fact that he was purposefully taking more time after that loss before he came into press. Like, I wonder what his immediate sort of reaction would have been that he wanted to suppress before he came in there what do you think might be going through his mind and, and, and are people being a bit too quick to dismiss his legitimate chances after Djokovic as, as being someone who could hoist another one there? I mean, what you're saying that people on Twitter could draw a conclusion too quickly about this. <laughs> Amazing. Right. Talking that this is something that could happen uh, mm. in, um, in the internet, on the internet, in the Twitterverse. Uh, but no, I, I, because Roger is such a big picture kind of guy that was a little unusual to see. And I think everybody, it shook everyone up just a little bit. Uh, but in some ways, I don't necessarily think low expectations in particular, if he's not feeling great physically, I don't think low expectations are a terrible thing. Um, and we know in three out of five set matches, there's time to sort of work your way in. Uh, if you can get through the first round or two, he finds his groove. He knows what he's been able to do there time and time again. I, I, I just feel like not feeling good after a loss can turn into, oh, yeah, like the, it's, the, the wheels are greased now. I'm finding my rhythm. I think it can switch to that really quickly when you've done it before, when you know what it feels like to have success somewhere. I mean, he's had success everywhere, but I mean, Wimbledon is sort of the crown jewel for him and and so I don't think it would take him that long to find the rhythm if he's able to work his way in first round or second round still blows my mind that he's turning 40 years old this this summer and is still you know top 10 and, and contender at any of the slams he plays basically um even with all the time off and everything another player who's approaching that milestone later this year I believe uh, on the women's side we got to talk about is Serena Williams and uh, she's made the finals of Wimbledon the last two times it was held uh, what are your feelings for her heading into the championships this year? And, and are you feeling less likely that that elusive 24th slam is, is going to be a reality with what you've seen from her in the past year or so? I think much like with what Roger had said going in is that, you know, Clay winning Roland Garros wasn't really the goal. The goal was to prepare himself for the grass. I, Serena would never say that because Serena, if you talk to Serena, uh, she thinks she should be anyone on any day on any surface doesn't matter. Uh, and so I, I don't, I don't think she thinks about it quite that way, but I, I do think that grass is going to be the, the more likely place 
for her to get number 24 done. I just think it has to happen with a confluence of about 20 other things. I think there has to be a favorable draw. I think she has to be able to string it together, um, perhaps better than she has. I think she has to start better. Uh, getting into those early holes as she sometimes does or has maybe done more toward you know, this point in her career, I think that it's hard to climb out of those holes match after match and do it throughout the course of a Grand Slam. So I just think a lot of things, I think it's, I definitely think it's possible. I just think there are a lot of things that have to fall together and we've seen it happen before. I mean, we've, there have been, I mean, look at, if Barbara Krejcikova can come out of nowhere, yeah. Excuse me, Krejcikova. I, I have had to correct my pronunciation of her name. I was saying it wrong for years, which apologies to Barbara. Uh, thank goodness for the little WTA right. pronunciation. <laughs> the ATP has had those for a while, but I yeah. was uh, I was on my own with a lot of the uh, with the women's names. So glad glad that they have that to help us out now. But I mean that that level of just stone cold confidence when she had never done it before i mean that was a good example of everything came together for her over the course of those two weeks on the singles court and the doubles court and so we've seen we've seen that happen and so why not for somebody who has done it 23 other times so definitely possible i think we just need to have a few a few things click into place uh, throughout the course of the fortnight yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and and it almost felt like that almost happened too in 2018 and 2019, where you had all these top 10 seeds, you know, falling by the wayside and suddenly Serena's kind of rolled into the final. And I do feel like she's maybe playing better tennis now, I want to say. It's, it's hard to gauge, but uh, you bring up a good point because... Serena, the competitor that she is, of course, she's not going to she's not going to say, like, I can't win the French Open, but such a stark difference uh, in her demeanor and how she felt losing at the Australian Open to Osaka, where, you know, she left the press conference in tears. That was such a gutting defeat. And French Open, I just felt like she picked herself right up and she's like, Wimbledon is right around the corner. This is like a great opportunity for me. Yes. And perhaps, so perhaps she actually felt the same way as Roger. She just would never say it. Out <laughs> exactly. She wouldn't, uh, she wouldn't admit it. Um, we'll stick on the women's tour because yeah, as you said, Barbara Krejcikova, just one of four, maybe, maybe the most surprised semifinalists ever that we had at the French Open. And now we make this quick switch to a grass court surface. And I just, I have no gauge on who to like to win this tournament. You know, I might say like earlier on, you look at the way Barty had been playing on clay. I might say Ash Barty could win Wimbledon this year. Um, I might say that about Simona Halep. She's injured. I was hoping for more from Marina Sabalenka at the French open. Of course she, she crashed out and, um, and now two surprise winners this past week on Jabir first Arab woman to, to win a singles title. Do you, do you have any names in mind? This one's not going to be a short list compared to the men's side. I feel this is, this is a literal long list. Yes. yes. Um, no. Well, first of all, have, there aren't many players. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of recently. I mean, Barbara had tons of, of positive feedback from other players uh, on social media. Uh, who else? Iga Sviantek at the French last year. But I got to say, Anshabur has to be one of the most beloved. Just seeing the outpouring of yeah. congratulations, on even from Andy Roddick and her reaction to that. I just thought that that was really neat. So shout out to Ans. Everyone mm. seems to love her, which it's always nice to think that you can be really successful and also really 
seemingly, I, I don't know personally, she seems lovely from, yeah. from the outside looking in, but to think that you can sort of have both, which is great. Um, but I mean, Ash, Ash is a question mark for me. Um, how is she going to play? How is the hip going to be feeling? Is, you know, just didn't get a lot of a, didn't get a long runway going into Wimbledon, that's for sure. Um, but I think when Ash is playing Ash tennis on grass, I mean, that's, it just so effective and so pretty and so fun to watch. Um, I, I, guys, I don't know. <laughs> I like that honesty. That's why we. Yeah, have I do. It's refreshing, actually. I, I mean, it's. I would love to see Savalenka be able to get, you know, make the run that we're all sort of leading her to make at a major. I definitely think she's capable of it. It's nice to see her. Uh, side note: doing well uh, with Vika Azarenka. What, what a, what an Olympic team that will be. Hopefully. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we all know wins are wins. I think even winning on the doubles court can, uh, can build a little confidence on the grass. It's more matches on the grass heading into, heading into Wimbledon. But yeah, it, it is Coco. I, I was thinking about Coco the other day. I mean, 2019 was her big breakout. Michelle Obama is tweeting at you moment. Mm -hmm. And now she's going to be seated. Uh, so her game worked on the clay I think it works on the grass as well she seemed to have worked out some of the kinks in her serve which is is good to see I don't know you guys I am I am I am no help here it's gonna be a good time <laughs> one way or the other. what do you think what do you guys think I want to hear your thoughts no no our guests are not allowed to put it back on us are they <laughs> Ben don't we have a clause in there somewhere oh, they can't do yeah. that to us come on Mike you're just you're just shy you know you're gonna blow it with your predictions and don't want to share yeah always I mean I feel like it's not <laughs> fair to any player whose name I put forth now because it's gonna be you know I mean I'm very intrigued by what Simona Halep can do yeah because I feel like we've, we've had such a small sample size from yeah. her um going back to the start of the pandemic really but clearly she's had the success there before and I mean, I felt after she got that first slam that uh, we were going to see several more, maybe not all in a row, but we did see the, you know, grab a title at Wimbledon. So I feel with those in her pocket, she should be able to play maybe more freely than some of the other players and not have the same level of nerves and pressure on her shoulders. And she's got nothing to lose with little match play under her belt too right now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to see a good run from Simo and she's so much fun to watch too. So I'll put that name out there and my apologies to her and her camp for what I've just done to them, I guess. What do we, what do we think of, oh, speaking of, of large sample size versus, I mean, in this case, no sample size or, or one match of sample size beyond yeah. that on the grass. Yeah. Look, I, I watched her, I watched her loss to Elise Cornet and, you know, we, we had the very upsetting viral video because it happens on her birthday. And then we had a horrifically awkward moment of her getting a happy birthday song and an emotional moment where she's very down about the loss. That was brutal. Um, so I that felt is. for BB in that moment. That yeah. was rough. You got to pull, pull the ripcord on the happy birthday. Whoever, whoever planned it. Great idea. You just got to pull yeah, the ripcord. Send the cake back. <laughs> read the room right um oh my gosh Painful. yeah i know but uh i i felt like a bit of bad luck like elise cornet she she played a great match and i thought she played a good tournament and bianca had her opportunities in the second set and um i felt like the reason she was kind of emotional is like 
she she hasn't been able to string together match play and it's something that she needs right now you know and you think okay she only gets two matches ahead of the french open she wins handily we see the draw and we're already thinking we've already penciled her in to beat tamara zadonsek who ends up making the semifinals. and then i'm sure she's probably frustrated maybe the confidence dips a little bit and then you have a loss that starts off in a grass court season which is so short so I feel like her game can work for grass, big forehand. She has that slice, which can play really low on the surface. You can serve well. Um, but I, I just want to see like a run of like two, three, four matches in a row, which we, we haven't been able to get. Yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned with, with the actual tennis with Bianca. And I'm, I'm more just wanting to see some, some good luck for her because between injuries yeah. and her coach, Sylvain, or former coach now, Sylvain Bruno, getting COVID earlier in the year, to her getting COVID and not being allowed in to play certain tournaments. I mean, she's just really had a horrible string of luck and I'd just like to see her healthy without any other distractions or things coming her way. And I think if that happens, then the, the results will follow because she's a, a player who's played well on, on all surfaces. I mean, grass given, obviously we're going back to maybe junior days, but I, I feel like her game can transition to any of those surfaces. And, uh, and right now we just haven't been able to see her get, you know, back to back tournaments without something popping up on the radar unfortunately um quickly before we move on from this topic two things number one i feel like we can't leave this conversation without talking or at least mentioning garbine and petra two former champs and they're sort of lurking outside the top 10 at the moment so so i feel like it might be worth throwing those out definitely <laughs> um also the bianca Yulia Putinseva <laughs> doubles combination. Can we talk, which, which tournament? I am the worst with grass season at knowing which tournament is happening when and where. I think it's uh, Eastbourne, maybe? Eastbourne, yes. That yeah. would make sense. Um, I, I don't know when that match is happening. <laughs> when the first round is happening, I... I want to be there watching it. It's, it's Tuesday, time to be determined, and they're up against the number one seed, so that should oh, wow. be good. Okay. I, I cannot wait. Are they friends? Do you guys have intel on this? <laughs> this is a first for me to see those two names together in any context. I yeah, I have not. I have not seen these two, uh, you know, communicate whatsoever before in the past. I haven't seen any likes dropped on on Insta, but maybe it's happened. But you know that 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 tells me Bianca is like dying to play more tennis, honestly. Because when does she sign up for a doubles draw? So. Maybe that's a good sign health-wise, honestly. Yeah. She feels like her body can can play singles or doubles. Um, you mentioned Garbina Muguruza, and uh, Mike, you and I were, were talking about her quite a lot like early on in the season, of course. Uh, and she won that title in Dubai, beating Krychikova, uh in the final there. And she, she felt like one of the most dangerous players through that hardcore stretch. It seemed like... Uh, a mild injury sent setback kind of affected her for the French Open, but uh, this is a player who, I mean, we've seen her what beat Serena Williams in a Grand Slam final, beat Venus here at Wimbledon a handful of years ago. So always capable of a deep run. Yeah, I, I'm. And you're I trying to sell yourself on it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it just it just is interesting, just because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. I, you just feel like she should be doing it more often. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and the, so the inconsistency is, is kind of a head scratcher. And I have to say, we're more consistent. We've been more consistent in the last, what, six to eight months than, than we were in the years before that. In terms Absolutely. Of her play and, and how she seems 
seem to be feeling mentally going into tournaments, but, um, and, and props to Conchita Martinez, who is amazing. Who's also going to be inducted into the hall of fame. I will be there in mid July, which is cool. Nice. Um, so anyway, all of that to say, yes, I, I, I feel like she's certainly a danger. It's just sort of getting, getting all the gears cranking at the same time. Uh, one name I do want to ask about who's unfortunately not playing at Wimbledon. And we weren't sure after the French when we'd see Naomi Osaka come back to the tennis court. I don't want to go back to exactly what happened because I feel like that's been talked to enough and everyone's given their take and, and we've shared ours, which is, you know, one of empathy and compassion, of course, for her first and foremost. Um, were you surprised that she's pushed things off to the Olympics? And what do you think the tennis world needs to do? I don't just mean for her, but what can the tennis world, what can tournaments do to make players who aren't as comfortable in those kind of settings feel more at ease that they can, you know, go and do them without feeling such anxiety and, and such a toll on their mental health? To answer your question, your first question, no, I was not surprised to hear that she would not be playing at Wimbledon. But in, in some ways, I almost feel that if she is indeed play, planning on playing the Olympics, I feel like playing something before the Olympics might just sort of take the lid off the pressure cooker just a little bit so that the first time she's back is not in right. Japan uh, yeah. on the world stage. Uh but again, I'm sure she has thought all of that out. I, I just know if it were me, I'm not sure that that I would necessarily want that to be my, my first mm -hmm. match back. Um, but I hope she's taking the time that she needs. I'm sure whatever issues she had or, or felt that, that she was having going into the French Open, I'm sure were not helped by, by the events of the past few weeks. So I certainly hope she is taking some time, getting the help she needs and all, all support to her. Um, but in terms of how we move forward from here and what takeaways we should have, I, I feel like I'm sort of at a loss a little bit only because a couple of reasons. Number one, Naomi didn't really have any dialogue from what I understand with either the slams and the slams didn't handle not being talked to well. That's, I think we can mm -hmm. all... <laughs> agree on that or I shouldn't say they didn't handle it well they handled it aggressively and then all of a sudden we had this adversarial thing and and it didn't go well as we know from there um but I, I also don't believe there was a discussion um there may have been since but but in the immediate aftermath there wasn't a discussion with the WTA between Naomi so I don't know that tennis really knows what she would want what would what would have helped Naomi and I think that would be a, a good place to start because the players who were asked about it at Roland Garros there weren't many I think a lot agreed that hey yeah this is probably not my favorite thing to do <laughs> if I right. had a choice I probably wouldn't be here uh, but I think the overwhelming feel and I think the door was open to to be honest about it but it, yep. it the overwhelming feedback was that, yeah, this is this is just part of the gig. Um, and then there are some players who actually do like it. I mean, Daniil said, hey, it's, this, this is not the worst thing in the world for me. I, I Sometimes I come in with a bad attitude. I leave feeling better. Uh, Roger has said that he sort of talks his matches out in mm -hmm. his press conferences post-match. Um, I would recommend anybody who wants to, to hear more on this, uh, Kamal Murray, former coach of Sloan Stevens and um, 
Monica Puig. He's worked with a lot of people. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, he is now the host of the tennis.com podcast. And they actually had a, he had a great conversation with Ben Rothenberg about sort of both sides of, of the topic, which was interesting to listen to them. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem. We don't, where is the starting point? What, is there something specific that she wanted? Uh, is there, there just wasn't a whole lot of direction in terms of what would have helped her. And I think if we knew specifically, is it just not having to go to press conferences, not having them be mandatory? I don't know that that's necessarily the answer because I mean, you guys know there, there are, I think some positives that come out of press conferences. Uh, yep. Although there are a lot of people who are ready to say there are no positives. I do think there are some positives. So, so where is that middle ground? I don't know, but I do think it's good that we're talking about it. I, I think some people are like, well, if this, it's not broken, why fix it? But I don't think it's bad to be having this conversation. I think, you know, Kamal suggested, uh, which was, again, it was interesting to hear his perspective because he has coached players who, uh, you know, probably didn't love, we, we know Sloan's relationship with the media was a, a complicated one. Um, and he was saying, you know, maybe submit questions in advance, but then again, it takes away so much of that press conference. The spontaneity. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. Yes, you're just not going to get that if you're submitting yeah. your questions in advance. And there are also questions, and this is probably what <laughs> maybe some of what they want to weed out, but there are some questions that I know if I submitted them in advance on a piece of paper, they would not make the final cut. Shut down. <laughs> that's Shut right. down. Yeah. <laughs> However, in person, I think it's possible, again, if you have a little bit of a relationship with a player or whatever it is, I think there are some questions that you can ask that may be off the beaten path and may look way weirder on paper than they would look if they were coming out of my mouth. So I just don't know. Maybe you have like a wild card, maybe throughout the year, you have three press conference free passes right. that you can use. Um, where if you're in a particularly rough place, you can use one of your free passes. I, that to me would, would maybe make more sense. I don't know y'all it, it's, it's a comp super complicated issue. Um, but I think what would help is hearing what Naomi's thoughts were. I, I assume maybe she had some thoughts when she wrote that initial post, but we don't really know what they were um other than i don't i i don't want to be there for the french open which i can respect listen if you have the money to pay <laughs> yeah she said she would pay too um yeah it's it's obviously unfortunate how, how it blew up um i i will just mention as as we wrap up have a couple minutes left in terms of the olympics it's unfortunate to see the withdrawals and of course rafael nadal won't be at wimbledon won't be at the olympics we've had some other men's players that pull out of the olympics it's in a very difficult spot in that schedule with the north american hardcourt swing kind of rolling over into august uh but as for tennis this week eastbourne international Always tough to remember these names, but Eastbourne International, that's another opportunity for Bianca. She's playing singles and doubles. Iga Sviantek is in the field as well. Vashik Pospisil will be playing on the men's side. And then um, Novak Djokovic in the field at the Mallorca Open. And then uh, qualifying coming up right away for Wimbledon. So, and then we get um, to go cover Wimbledon for the first time, Ben. Well, not go there, but be there to cover yes, Wimbledon. Yes, virtual access. That's awesome. Congratulations, you guys. Oh, we appreciate that. Um, Blair, we always appreciate your insight and charisma on the show this was a fun chat as always so we love having you on match point canada 
Uh, great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, I hope my hot streak continues. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we. we hope so too. So You've been we. listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before. Imagine you're too familiar, and I don't see you anymore.